Amen. Amen. Welcome to church tonight. I appreciate you coming out. My name's Nathan, if you don't know me. Thanks the team for coming. Beautiful worship. Amazing singing. I really appreciate it. You can all take your seats. I'll be sharing tonight, and I hope that what I'm sharing can help you with your journey and your walk with the Lord. And our theme for what I want to say is I'm going to ask you one question tonight. And if you don't remember anything that I say, please just remember this one question. That's all I'm going to ask. If you're writing notes, you can write this down, close your book and listen to the rest of what I'm going to say. All I want you to ask, all I want to ask you one question is who sits on the throne? That's the only question I want you to remember from what I'm saying tonight. Because our theme this year is a king and a cause. You can see some of the posters up around on these pillars here. You might have seen it on our church news or even sometimes out in the screens out there. And with our theme, when Pastor Jack brought that to us, a king and a cause, he brought that to us about our theme for this year in February. Some of the things we, I'm referenced from that is the greatest person we could ever love and the greatest cause we could ever live. A king of kings and the cause of causes. You know, what I like about this theme for our year is that it's from a passage of scripture that we are all familiar with. Possibly one of the most popular passages of scripture in the world next to John 3.16. And it's a great way that we can look at this passage of scripture from a different light or a different angle but yet it's something that we all know and can apply to our lives. And that passage is, they're going to bring it on the screen, is Matthew 6, 9 to 10. I was just checking if it was up there, sorry. And it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on through the rest of the prayer, give us today our daily bread and all that, etc. I'm sure most of us know that. But the main part that we're focusing on for the theme of this year is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And it brought us to this question that we can ask ourselves. And I wrote this at the end of my prayer time. I try to ask myself this question every day. What on earth are we doing for heaven's sake? Or I can ask myself that question. What on earth am I doing for heaven's sake? As I go throughout my day to day, as I go to work, see the people I work with, go to the shops, see my wife, see my family, what am I doing for the sake of heaven? What am I doing for heaven's sake? And as I apply that to our theme, a king and a cause, it's a matter of making Jesus king over my life. It's recognizing who has the ultimate authority. And we're talking about the king and a cause and that bring on her earth as on heaven. What is different on heaven than on earth? Well, for one, Jesus sits on the throne in heaven. There isn't a throne worthy on earth that Jesus could sit on because there wouldn't be a throne worthy. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. 
thrones and authority. There is a throne, but there is a throne in each and all of our lives. Just hear me out. Does he sit on your throne? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? In heaven, Jesus sits on the throne. But in your life, does he sit on the throne? And when I say throne, what do you think? I didn't actually time this, and this actually worked out for when I'm speaking. But it just so happens that next Sunday is a king will be enthroned. There will be a coronation ceremony for King Charles next Sunday. It's actually probably the first time in many years that we're actually seeing this and probably might be the last or some of us might see another one in our lifetimes. The interesting thing about this, the coronation of the king, and if you don't know this because probably most of us won't alive when this last coronation happened, is there is a specific chair that they sit on when they get enthroned or when the coronation happens. This chair is over 700 years old. Me, I'm too worried to sit on a chair that's over 17 years old. <laughs> 700 years old is another thing. The interesting thing about this chair, it's called the coronation chair, go figure, but it's also called King Edward's chair. The chair has a long history. The chair is probably one of the most famous pieces of furniture in history. This chair is the 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 furniture is only is the oldest piece of furniture used in Europe used for its original purpose 26 kings and queens have had their coronation on this chair the funny thing about this chair is right now it's in Westminster Westminster Abbey sorry but over 2 300 years ago it was just you know in the corner of some room somewhere so anyone could have gone up and, you know, sat on the chair. And they, it has graffiti on it from someone 300 years ago that has engraved their name on this chair and the date that they stood on the chair or slept. Someone, I, I watched a video and someone slept two nights on the chair in 1799 or something like that. This chair uh, in, in the world wars and in various ways has been under attack or through Westminster Abbey. It's damaged. The chair is missing bits and pieces of it. And this chair also, um, what was I saying? The chair has graffiti on it. It's falling apart. It has someone that looks after it and takes care of it and prepares it. The chair originally was de designed over 700 years ago when it was first built. It has gold leaf and glass all around it. It would have looked like a beautiful throne. When you see this chair next weekend at the coronation, it looks like a boring wooden brown chair over the years it's deteriorated and the damage that has happened to it the gold leaf and glass couldn't possibly last that long and it's just fallen to bits and but it yet still has a special meaning with the chair being coronation the most sought after throne in the world is possibly this chair but you know what the most sought after throne in the in is the throne of your heart that place is vied and battled over in the spiritual world, in your mind, and who you decide is going to sit on a throne day to day. We have a coronation ceremony next weekend, and we might not have one for many, many years, but you in your life can have a coronation ceremony 
every day when you decide who sits on your throne. And I want to share and bring that in the light of 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. The Amplified actually says it this way, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Ephesians 3.17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. I want to read this quote. When the Bible speaks of the heart, whether Old Testament or New, it is not speaking of our emotional life only, but our central animating centre of all that we do. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep. It is our motivation headquarters. The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but the centre of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. Isn't that interesting? The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but the centre of who we are. Now let's look at 1 Peter 3.15 again. But in your hearts, set Christ apart, as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confidence and assurance elicited by faith that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Or Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. There is a throne in all of our hearts, but who is sitting on the throne? Christ sits on the throne on earth as it is in heaven. But I ask you, who is sitting on your throne? Because, I'll be honest, Christ doesn't always sit on the throne in my life, and it's been someone else, and that person has been me. I've often sat on the throne in my life, Or my job has sat on the throne in my life. Or my family has sat on the throne in my life. Or my financial worries have sat on the throne in my life. Or my wife and kids have sat on the throne in my life. But who should sit on the throne in your life? You know, it's funny that King Charles and and most advisors and presidents, kings, etc. have advisors uh, that advise them and have an inner room of people. And at times when I'm sitting on the throne, it's just like Jesus is an advisor. He's still there. I still look to him, but yet he should be sitting on the throne. He's not in his rightful place in my life. And I will ask you, who is in your inner circle on top of this? Who are those godly people around your life? Are you in a connect group? Do you have people around you? Do you have leaders and people to advise you in your life? Who is the person that is talking into your life? Because those godly people should be echoing the voice of the king. Those godly people should be repeating the king's message. I remember one specific defining moment of my life when this happened. And it was when one of those advisors, I could say, was advising me. It was actually when my wife and I started courting and we were dating 
And my parents had kind of met my wife but hadn't officially met, met her. So they invited her over for dinner and it was my father and my mother and my dad, my, my father and my mother and my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time and I. And she, she came, she, we all had dinner, it was a lovely time and then within half an hour to an hour of when she left, my dad actually said this to me. He said, it would be wise to marry that woman. And my dad never has said that to anyone before, so sometimes I've got to take his advice. But who is echoing the voice of the king? Who is someone that is repeating what the king's saying to repeat and know that you know that message is coming from Christ? Is it the pastors? Is it the leaders in your life? Are you in a connect group? Do you have people that are entrusted that you can entrust that you know that they're talking God's word and speaking that into your life? You have to have the godly people in your court to guide you. But the throne is a position of authority and power. In our world, I looked up who is the most powerful people in our world. Can anyone guess who they think the most powerful person in the world is today? No? The most powerful person that I've done all the, you know, the usual Google search thing, and there's about 10 different top 10 lists whatever and they generally all have the same 10 people on them in a different mix of order but the number one person that was consistently on there was Xi Jinping who is actually the leader of the People's Republic of China then after that was Vladimir Putin then after that was Joe Biden and then you have your usual you know the president of France and the chancellor of Germany and the prime minister of the US and Elon Musk like wealthy people um, Jeff Bezos and all that kind of stuff but I don't want to ask, and we're sometimes so obsessed about who has the most power or the most money in the world. I want to ask you this question. Who is the most powerful person in your world? Who is the most powerful person to you? Is it yourself? Are you sitting on the throne and are you guiding where things are going? Or is it the Christ that should be there? It's funny that we ask that who should have the authority. Because Christ the King should have his rightful place in our hearts. But are we recognizing his authority? Is his authority prominent in our lives? It's actually amazing that there are two times in the Bible where Jesus uh, is absolutely amazed and astounded. And both those times are to do with his authority. It must take a lot to impress Jesus and to amaze him and to wow him, to even take his breath away. And the word that was used is the word, it's a Greek word, thalmazo. And this word is actually used quite a lot in the New Testament. And it's mainly in reference to the miracles that Jesus had performed. So for instance, in Mark, when Jesus walked on the water, the disciples were so amazed and astounded. But the word that was used in Greek was thalmazo. Or when Jesus healed the blind man, in front of a crowd, they were amazed. Thalmatso. I think you get the point. A lot of the miracles that Jesus performed were thalmatso from the people that experienced them. But Jesus only twice had this experience himself, or was, it, was, um, it was written down. And it's funny, the first time is in Mark 6 when Jesus returns to his hometown. 
I'll just start at Mark 6, 1 to 6. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Accompanied by his disciples, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. This is not Thaumatso. This is another amazed. When did this man get these things? They asked. What's his wisdom that he, that's been given to him? What are these re- remarkable miracles he's, he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own, ta- own town, among his relatives and in his home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed, Thalmatso, at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. One thing to note is even the people were amazed, but they began to humanize him, belittle him, bring him down to their level, and he was amazed at that. They didn't recognize his authority. They knew Jesus, but he wasn't sitting on the throne. It's like he was an advisor and he wasn't sitting on the throne. Sometimes I have that similar in my life, right? I'm like a Nazarene person. I know Jesus. He can perform the miracles, but my faith isn't blowing him away. And I'm limiting his impact on my life and what he can do. The other time when Jesus was amazed was in Matthew 8, 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one go and he goes, I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, Thalmatso, and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the knees of darkness, where they'll be weeping and gnashing your teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go. Let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus' authority was recognized, and he was able to heal. You know what's so amazing about this? Four times is when Jesus healed without actually touching someone. And this is the second time he heals without even physically seeing the person. Jesus just spoke the word, and that person was healed. And isn't that amazing that it was about a recognition of Jesus' authority? And this, you know what's even more amazing? The Nazarene people grew up in the Jewish traditions and knew about these things. This man grew up in Rome outside of the Jewish traditions and yet he still recognized Jesus' authority. To allow the cause of the king the cause of causes, to allow the king to sit on his throne in rightful place. Because if the king sits on the throne and every interaction, every decision and guidance is led by the king, the cause will naturally follow. You might be thinking, Nathan, you don't know what I'm like. You don't know who I am. 
you don't know what I'm into, you don't know what I spoke to my wife earlier or what I said to my kids or what I did last night or last week or whatever, you might be thinking that my throne is like that 700-year-old throne. It's damaged. It's beaten. It's scratched. It's got graffiti on it. It doesn't look the same as it's meant to. You might be thinking that, that your throne isn't worthy. But I say to you, friend, come to Jesus. He's not the king that is dominant and overbearing. He's a loving king. He is gentle and lowly. I'm going through this book called Gentle and Lowly, and here's some quotes from it. Jesus talks about his heart and how you can approach him in Matthew 11:29. He says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find the and you will find rest for your souls." In one part, Matthew one part of the Bible, Matthew 11:29, where Jesus pulls back the veil and lets us peer down into the core of who he is. We are not told that he's austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he's exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he's joyful and generous in heart. Jesus, setting the terms, his surprising claim is that he's gentle and lowly in heart. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. Not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but an open arm. The king sits on the throne. The king and the cause. You approach Jesus knowing that he is meek and gentle. He is not an overpowering, demanding king. You let him sit on the throne. From having the king sit on the throne of your heart, the cause will naturally follow. The cause of a loving, kind king, a meek and gentle king. So I go back to the start. The greatest king we could ever serve and the greatest cause we could ever live. I just want to ask you before I pray, encourage you to ask yourselves these two questions every day. What on earth am I doing for heaven's sake? But who sits on the throne? I want to ask you every day, come to that meek, gentle Jesus. Please, Lord, come and sit on my throne. Come and lead me. Come and guide me. Have your own coronation ceremony with you and Jesus every morning, every night, whenever you do it. Let him sit on the throne and guide you. Let him let the cause naturally flow out of you in every interaction. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you can lead us and guide us, that your cause will naturally flow out of us. And Lord, we just open up ourselves to you right now. And we just say, come and sit on the throne, Lord. Come and guide us. Come and lead us in every part of our lives. Jesus. Amen.